Hey, y'all, and welcome to this week's episode of Pain in the Pod. This week, I'm talking to Justine Harmon. I've spoken to Justine before. Uh, Last year, I spoke to her about the amazing podcast she did called Broken Hearts. So I was excited when I saw the Baron of Botox come across my podcast app. And then, of course, it was on every list. It's a podcast about Dr. Frederick Brandt, who started the whole Botox craze and later on fillers and all this. And then later at the end of his life, he was actually sort of sad at how things have gone. And you may know about Dr. Brandt because he did commit suicide, which was very tragic, but a lot of media outlets blamed it on Martin Short's depiction of him on the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And of course, no one commits suicide because somebody makes fun of them. It's a much more layered and a deep, deep issue. So Justine did an amazing job with this podcast. So I encourage everyone to listen to the Baron of Botox to find out more about Dr. Frederick Brandt. He was a scientist. He was an innovator. He was an art collector. He was such a cool guy. And Justine does a great job. So take a listen to my interview with Justine Harmon of the Baron of Botox. Thanks. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Pain in the Pod. Today, I'm excited to talk to Justine Harmon of the podcast, The Baron of Botox. Now, you may remember that I've spoken with Justine before about her podcast, Broken Hearts. I met Justine in New York, and at that time, she just had a baby. This was uh, last year. Welcome back to the show, Justine. Thank you for having me back. I'm thrilled to be here. All right. So I want to talk about this podcast. And so for my listeners who haven't heard of it yet, The Baron of Botox is a podcast about the life and achievements and the tragic death of Dr. Frederick Brandt, a.k.a. he was known as the Baron of Botox. He was an innovator, and he was one of the first dermatologists to really embrace the use of Botox, and later, of course, you know, fillers and filling in wrinkles and sculpting your face, and as it has progressed through the years. Now, he has a lot of famous clients, or he did before he died, and they were like Joy Behar, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kelly Ripa, and early on, Madonna. And this podcast goes into his early life and his rise in the medical field and his eventual tragic suicide. So, Justine, so I I really told you before we started, I have so many questions. The podcast was, I mean, it was extensive and you covered so much ground. So how did you decide to cover Dr. Brandt in the first place? You know, it's one of those things, it's a feeling when you get, you know, quote unquote, obsessed with something, it seems like you could talk about it and learn about it and think about it nonstop and it wouldn't get dull. And I think there are a lot of stories out there that have that same, I mean, I don't love this word, but people use it a lot, stickiness, um, which is a variety of factors that really draw you and compel you to it. And, you know, you think about Theranos or Jeffrey Epstein or a variety of other, of other true stories that we've cut a million different ways because we just can't get enough. I feel like the Fred Brandt story is more compelling than either of those because at its center is someone who's not nefarious and has a good heart. And maybe the work he does is polarizing, but I I think, and I hope through the podcast, you recognize he was a uniquely benevolent individual. And I wanted to explore the murky waters of being a good person in a in a position that people don't really know what to say about, you know, the beauty industry and Botox and all of these things that he really brought to the forefront. Um, they're controversial for a variety of reasons, but he, um, as far as I can tell, and from 
the over 50 interviews I did, I mean, he was good. And I thought that that tension was really interesting. And I, I don't know, once I started chewing on it and learning more and talking to people who knew him, I just, I couldn't stop. Yeah. I mean, from what I gathered, you knew about Dr. Brandt just from your career and working in various uh, magazines, beauty magazines specifically. But did you realize like what a pioneer he was? Like he was truly a scientist and a doctor that was very interested in these things. He wasn't just this um, caricature of like, oh, let me fill up your face. I mean, yeah. were, you, were you aware that he was really the pioneer of all of this stuff? No. I mean, that was a uh, a welcome bonus that definitely gave me a log line. And I was able to champion him as someone who really did change the aesthetic industry. And I think for people who care about that, that was really important to give him the attention he deserved for all of his achievements and for all of his scientific prowess. I mean, the way that he was remembered after he died was for that caricature or for the way that he passed away. And I think having the double edge of, yes, this is like a tragic slash, you know, pop culture story, but it's also a story about a pioneer and someone who was so incredibly innovative. And you can't really take that away from him, even if you think that, you know, what he's doing isn't great for society, or if you think he's weird, it doesn't really matter. Uh, because what he did was very impressive. And many people who knew him and work in the space have come and contacted me and said that, you know, it was really cool to hear a peer of theirs honored this way because, you know, cosmetic dermatology lives sort of in this vacuum where people, people get it and then people don't talk about it. So um, it was nice to hear someone in their field honored in that way. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand the singularity of what he had achieved um, until I started really researching and talking to people like Linda Wells and shaping sort of what my point was. But no, it was one of those things where the story I was telling was kind of better than the one I had in my mind, which is always a very welcome development. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what you know, what I think is fascinating is if you look at somebody like Dr. Brandt, who ushered in this, you know, new way of thinking about filling your wrinkles and looking younger and all that, that when you list some of these clients, like somebody like, especially it comes to mind, Joy Behar and Kelly Ripa, neither one of them look weird or overfilled or non-wrinkled or, you know, they look close to their age, but they look great. So you think about that. And then you think, of course, you think about the Jocelyn Wildensteins or, you know, the, the people that look crazy, look like Cat Lady or try to make themselves look like Barbie. Th there's the extreme. But to me, it seems like what Dr. Brandt was doing when he was pioneering all this was really just to help people look younger, but not look overfilled or nuts. And, and at the end of the podcast, you spoke to a doctor who said, and this was, I thought this was so fascinating that people come in and I have said this to my own uh, dermatologist. I just want to like look younger, but I don't want to look like real housewives or I don't want right. to look like my friend who looks like this. Right. So everybody has that in their mind, but at some point people go over the tipping point where nobody tells them like, all right, <laughs> you yeah. know, but they're, I, to me, it's up to the doctor to say, okay, no, I'm not going to do this. Like that looks crazy or we don't agree with that. But then, you know, in Hollywood, you see that doesn't ever happen. Well, I think like anything, it's subjective. Taste is subjective. Beauty is subjective. True. What looks natural is subjective. So when you're mirroring, you know, you have your expectations. A doctor has 
their own version of what would look better. And it's sort of pinging back and forth in this elliptical motion. And at the end of the day, you're paying for a service. And so if you're insistent, like, I know what I want. I know I want more Botox here. I know I want more filler there. I like my lips like that. That makes me confident. That makes me feel good. The doctor will give and take. And, you know, to a certain point, there's a nebulous line around it. And there's really no, it's not like, you know, you're parking your car and the the, the little beeper goes off because you've gotten too close. Like there really is no guardrail. It has to be two sentient adults saying, this is a little bit of an experiment and we're sort of, you know, playing with fire a little bit. And I think it's really hard to know where the line is. And I also think there's so many variables involved with what we see when we look in the mirror, something I was really eager to explore with the series, but you know, there's psychology and there's external factors and there's the limitations of facial structure. And then there's the way your skin and your muscle and your everything responds to the injections. It, it is an imperfect science. And I don't think that there is a perfection that can be achieved because I don't think it'll ever be mirrored by both sides of the equation. Or, I mean, if you think about it, then there's the world at large and then there's your reflection in the mirror. All of these are different data points reflecting back a slightly different version of what you look like. And I think the feedback gets really muddied in that in that loop. So, I mean, yeah, someone like Jocelyn Wildenstein, I think we can all agree that that's not our favorite aesthetic, but I'm not surprised that it gets there because I think it it's sort of, it's momentum. And, and also you have to remember that once you get injections, you know, they don't last forever and they go away. And then you start to think, oh, like, they went away, like I'm now dipped below where I started. That's not true, but you're so used to seeing yourself optimized and sort of this better version of yourself. When you actually start to see yourself peek through, you don't like it. And so you have to keep, you have to keep pushing that down and staying on top of it. And it, I don't know, I I think it's a really gnarly cycle and it's one I've you know, inadvertently entered myself. And it's something I'm going to have to really take seriously. And I hope I don't ever venture into the uncanny, but you know, I'm 35. Who knows what I'll be into when I'm 45. (laughs) Right. And you know, it's, it's interesting. You said that too. Now, before you did this podcast, had you done Botox before? I mean, 35 in my mind, is kind of young to do Botox, but, and you know, there's 20 year olds that do it, you know? Of course. Yeah, I had done it a few times and I loved it. Like I thought it had the same effect of, you know, having a really good diet and exercise routine and drinking a lot of water. It's sort of a loophole. When it's done correctly, it kind of a, it kind of lets you off the hook with some of that stuff. Um, yeah. You look mm-hmm. rested and like you take care of yourself. And as someone who just had a baby, you know, I went and got Botox like right after I finished breastfeeding and I was like, oh, yes, like this is just what I needed. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've only gotten it like six or seven times, but I I like it and I like how it feels and I'll probably keep doing it. The only thing that doing this show has sort of made me think about is some of the stuff we were just talking about where I don't want it to become something that is no longer serving me. So I think I need to keep accurate notes of when I've gone in and how much I've gotten and really be honest with myself because I I don't know that this is scientifically proven, but I have this weird idea that once you start tinkering with it too much, 
you really can't get back to where you were. You, your face just like doesn't look the way it did. And you'll spend a lot of time and energy trying to recoup what you had when you started. So you put yourself into a situation that takes a lot of energy and makes you uncomfortable when it was an elective thing in the first place. So I think as long as it's making you feel better and you're not just chasing some undefinable youth quotient, then it can be a great treat, but no, it can, it can spin out for sure. Yeah. It was interesting that towards the end there, you spoke to that doctor who said he would go to these, you know, board meetings and dermatological conferences and be sitting around the table and they'd say, okay, well today we have and list off the doctors that were there. And he would say, where is um, Dr. So-and-so? And they would be directly across the table from him. Yeah. And they had done so much to their face that he didn't recognize them. And, and I think that that's what Dr. Brandt got a lot of uh, flack from. Now, I had no idea who Dr. Brandt was other than I've heard his names on skincare products or I'd heard him on Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, this is Dr. Brandt, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I never uh, knew who he was. So when the thing came on, and I'll talk to you about this in a minute, when they sort of made fun of him on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I was like, oh. And then I saw a picture of what he really looked like. And I was like, all right, well, that's kind of a caricature. And I see people walking around that look like that all the time, you know? And it didn't, I wasn't like, God, he looks crazy or, you know what I mean? I just thought like, well, he looks like a lot of plastic surgeons look, right? Like they've got that crazy look. So like you're saying, it is subjective. And I think that I think of, and this is just a total, you know, non sequitur, but Brandy Glanville, who was on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, at some point was doing something and she had gotten filler in her hand because she said, oh, I have this wrinkle right here by my thumb. Uh-huh. And she was doing something modeling and they said something and she goes, oh yeah. And I could see in the picture that I had this wrinkle by my thumb, which is the way her hand was placed, which by the way, that's how your hand moves. And people were like, that is insane. I've never heard of that. That is crazy. And now I hear people all the time putting filler in their hand. Yeah, It's sort of like you move the bar, you move the bar, you move yeah. the bar, right? It totally. It's exactly. I mean, I remember watching an episode, I think of keeping up with the Kardashians where Kim had some line in her neck that she was eager to erase. And I remember thinking even then, I don't even think I had kids when I watched it. I was like, I would love to have so much free time that I could <laughs> I could just isolate a tiny, nearly invisible wrinkle and make that my day's work. Um, but now I see things in my neck all the time. And I'm like, it's two urges or two, two sides of my brain. One side's like, you know, screw it. That's what your neck looks like. Who cares? And then the other side's like, yeah, but like it doesn't have to. So yeah, we're all sort of, our metabolisms for these things are changing. And yeah, hands are one of the first and early indicators of aging. So I would imagine someone whose livelihood, I mean, I wasn't aware Brandy Glanville was a hand model, but she wasn't, she was just, she was just a model (laughs) and and the way her hand was, (laughs) she saw it in the picture. And you say that about your neck, which is funny because, you know, Nora Ephron wrote that book. Yes, yes. I feel bad about my neck. And she starts off the book saying she and her friends all sit around in these like little half uh, Chinese collars trying to hide their neck. Um, And you think about all the things you could do. And I was actually speaking to my dermatologist uh, recently about your podcast. And I was Mm -hmm. saying, oh, you guys would really 
be fascinated by it because they would all know who Dr. Brandt was, of course. And I said, I, I, I act like there was a team of doctors in the room. It was just the physician's assistant and the nurse. And I said, um, you know, they, Dr. Brandt was the first one to do this off-brand Botox where you could put all the stuff in your neck to kind of simulate a neck lift. And she goes, yes, they absolutely can do that, but it does also limit your breathing. Yeah. She said, she said, so, you know, what do you want? You want to have a, a, a clear way of breathing or do you want your neck to look tighter? She's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta think about those things. And we just, when you said neck, I thought about them saying, uh-huh. If you put 27 shots of Botox in your neck, it's going to restrict your, your breathing. Right. But there, I mean, that there's such a legacy for that, right? There's the adage beauty is pain. Um, women consistently and forever have sacrificed their comfort to look a certain way. I, I'm not surprised that breathing is on the list of things that we're willing to compromise in order to reach our ideal. I only recently had, I mean, I basically all but had to start, stop wearing high heels because I have foot pain as a result of two of my pregnancies. And I am fine with that now, but I'm short. And for years, I would go to the most extreme measures to make sure I could wear high heels. Um, even on like walking tours or on the subway, because I felt so certain that that would make me feel more confident. And now that it's literally an impossibility, uh, basically, like I just can't do it. I feel free um, and I'm so thrilled, but I wouldn't have been able to get them off my feet any other way. I think all of this is things we, and Jane Marie, I mean, not to give it away for people who haven't listened to the series, but Jane Marie from The Dream joins us in the final episode of The Baron and Botox. And she talks about how Botox and all of these things can be, you know, elective shackles women put on themselves. And I'd never really considered that. Um, and you can sort of listen and hear her. She says it more eloquently than I will, but I, none of it's surprising. And yet when you actually talk about it, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, um, like I'm not surprised at, in equal measure. I am surprised and wholly unsurprised every time I talk about this with another woman and everyone comes at it from a certain space and they'll start saying like, well, this doesn't apply to me and this isn't my story and I don't get Botox. But um, I think it's hard to be a woman and not have an opinion about these things one way or another, because it really, it does have to do with all of the things women grapple with every day. I sort of digress there, but. No, no, no. I, yeah, I'm, I'm listening because I'm just like nodding. Yeah. yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about Dr. Brandt specifically. Okay. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Okay, I'm back with Justine Harmon of the new podcast, that just had its last episode. It's called The Baron of Botox. So you could go and binge the whole thing. It's so well done and well researched. And you did sort of start the podcast off talking about his business partner, who, yeah. you know, is a man and a beautiful specimen married to a woman mm-hmm. and has children. That's right. And what's his name? Stefan Kalu. Stefan. Okay. And 
it was saying, you know, oh, well, people said he was in love with Stefan and Stefan himself said, you know, I don't, I don't think so. He really was my family. And Dr. Brandt even said, you know, Stefan and his wife and his children are my family. And he, and he treated them as such. Yeah. Now, does, does Stefan still run the company as a whole? And when I say company, I mean like the skincare company. Yeah, he owns it. He repurchased it from the estate. So it's his company. He's the president and CEO and he runs it. I mean, something that I had hoped to do and wasn't able to do during the process of recording the podcast was to go to a Sephora and to talk to the brand loyalists because it's a, oh. yeah, it's a big seller. Um, and it's a really, you know, he introduced a product line. It's not affordable by any means. I mean, it's pretty pricey, but it's nothing crazy, crazy. It's like, uh, you know, the 30 to $50 price point. And it is a way to bring something that is so, you know, coastally inclined and so prohibitively expensive to the masses. And he was very much um, interested in bringing all of his discoveries to every person, regardless of how much money they had, regardless of fame. And I thought that was really indicative of who he was, especially as a business person, because that, of course, is the business model everyone is after now. Um, I mean, more customers is better, right? Um, but yeah. I think the brand, and I haven't really explored this part too much, but the brand is really uh, a big deal to beauty fanatics who love Ulta and love Sephora. And I think most people, their entry into the story isn't that sort of you know, news moment from 2015 that captured my attention, but rather the products that, you know, they have in their cabinet and that they use routinely and that they really love. So Stefan is in charge of that. I, I, I'm not certain of the, how much he, you know, how much the business brings in. Although I did read something on WWD, I think it was that they make about $150 million a year of, from product revenue. So it's a serious, legitimate business. And I think for people who love those products, it's a very meaningful one. And I haven't talked to Stefan since the podcast has aired. I would be curious to know what he thought. Uh, maybe he didn't like it. But um, I think there's definitely more there about the product line and who that serves and the people who love it. So I was sorry to have missed that. Yeah. And about the products, I was going to say, Dr. Brandt, you kind of in the middle of the podcast, you talk about how he was, you know, I we talk a lot about him being a scientist and being so into everything new and the innovations, but he was a, at some point an investor in a company that did Restylane or it was one of those things you said that he was one of the first people to use it and he was an investor. Um, was it Restylane or it was one of those? I think he was an investigator. So he uh -huh. helped with the field trials and getting it approved by the FDA. I think that's different. Um, okay. So that, I mean, that's fascinating. You know, I mean, these are things that are in every dermatologist, every plastic surgeon's office, every Medi spa, yeah. you know, today, and to oh, think yeah. he's, he's on the front lines of that. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, he obviously used a lot on himself, but he never sort of uh, went overboard on his clients as far, you know, I don't, I don't know with the women walking around the Upper East Side, what they're looking like, but, you know, as far as we can tell, he never went overboard on his clients, mm -hmm. just a little bit here, just a little bit there to, to make you look younger. I don't know. I, the whole, the whole idea of him is so layered and so fascinating. Right. Okay. So we talked about his company, but he also, you touched a lot on how he's a huge art collector, which I think just goes into his whole idea of being an artist himself. Yeah. And, uh, now his estate sold has sold off a lot of the art, and he's you know like a 
worldwide known art collector. Now, who sold off the art and does the money go to what? To the company? It was all put up for auction and 50 or so pieces sold. Uh, I would actually have to go revisit my notes. Um, I can't, I, I mentioned it in the podcast, but yeah, most of it goes to keep the lights on for the business to help settle any debts that were claimed against the estate. It's a little unclear to me where all the money went. Stefan did open a foundation, a million dollar foundation, I think at the University of Miami for mental health and named it something like that. So there's a lot of initiatives. However, the bulk of the money, from what I can tell, which was a lot, was used to sort of keep the business afloat. It's a little unclear to me because it's a lot of money. Yeah, that was something that I couldn't quite put my finger on because I think the amount of money exceeds in my estimation, what it would take to keep the lights on for a mm-hmm. moderately small business. But Stefan said that, you know, a lot of things weren't in order. And I've heard from former employees that a lot of the paperwork hadn't been filed on their behalf, like their W-2s. And so I think there was um, a lot of backlog payments that really couldn't come from anywhere else. And so that was the most sizable asset. And they felt like it just made sense to liquidate that, get everything settled and start from there is what I've been told. Okay, that makes sense. Now, you're kind of taking a little bit of a, a turn. You you started the podcast, and I listened to it when it first came out, by addressing Dr. Brandt's suicide. And you, and you, you addressed it head on. And the, back, the backlash that came from, and for my listeners that don't know, there's a Netflix show, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is very funny. And it's a complete, you know, parody of a lot of uh, New York women is played by Jane Krakowski. And she takes Kimmy Schmidt to her dermatologist for Botox or whatever. And it's played by Martin Short. And it's this over the top kind of crazy Martin Short character where his face, you know, all the stuff, uh, prosthetics on his face to make his face look wild. And he comes in just very flamboyant and singing and you can't really understand him and his face doesn't move. And a lot of people said that that was based on Dr. Brandt and what he looked like and how he acted. Now, it was sort of well known that he would come in and be very over the top and sing. And he said he did that to make people more comfortable. Like, hey, look at me. I'm being so wild and crazy because I'm about to stick a needle in your face. It's probably going to hurt. So, you started off the podcast discussing it and saying that, you know, you had reached out to the t- people at t- Tina Fey's people and because she's the one that does the show. And they wrote back and just said very, you know, honestly, like, we hope you're not going to base your podcast on this, which, of course, it's not. It's just like a little minor part to talk about yeah. things that were leading up to his, he was already obviously mentally ill and had depression. And these, you know, it was sort of said this pushed him over the edge. And people, you know, there were some columnists that came out and said, Tina Fey, Tina Fey has blood on her hands. Just very, very, lots of leaps to judgment there. But then later in the podcast, you said that you sort of revisited that and that you wanted people to know that you had taken some of that out. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me why you decided to sort of take that part out about the Kimmy Schmidt stuff and, you know, all so that. I didn't take anything out about the Kimmy Schmidt stuff. All I took out was some potentially triggering details about, you know, Things Dr. Brandt used to succeed in his attempt to kill himself. Um, mm, okay. I, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't take any of that out. I just, I, as I've been reporting this podcast and talking to Kelly McBride at the Pointer Institute and all of these things, I started to recognize my own part in helping to, or not helping, but in proliferating some messages that can be damaging to people who are suffering. And that is the last thing I wanted to do. And 
I saw a bunch of, I read all the comments, uh, maybe I shouldn't, but I saw a bunch of comments saying that the way I handled reporting the suicide was so frank and maybe clinical that it, it, it really, it was upsetting to people who struggle with this or who have lost someone to suicide. And I felt terrible about that. Um, I think suicide is something that affects everyone. Um, Absolutely. I think everyone knows someone. I certainly lost friends to it, but I never come to it from a professional angle before. And I'd never really considered how it needs to be handled more delicately than anything else, perhaps more delicately than homicide or, you know, child abuse, even which we covered extensively in Broken Hearts. But I am learning and I am trying to not make the world worse. So I felt compelled to do what I could to to make that first episode less upsetting for someone who might be grappling with these issues. And they're really minor edits, but I found or I felt better about it after we did it. Okay, because I you, I didn't go back and listen to the first episodes to see what you had taken out, yeah. um, or maybe I wouldn't have even noticed because in my mind I thought you were taking out the stuff about the Kimmy Schmidt stuff because you know people were like, well, that's subjective. You know, was he upset about it? Was he not? Obviously, they said it, he was upset about it, but you come to find out that he had some other medical issues going on and he had survived cancer and he wasn't a young person, but he did, you know, obviously if you go to that extreme, then you are, you know, way over the edge on your, whatever's going on in your mind to, to go to that extreme. So it, I think that the, the parody that Martin Short did on Kimmy Schmidt, I guess it was based on him from, from what, you know, allegedly what we've seen, but in my mind, it could be based on 26 other people I've seen on TV that, you know, or plastic surgeons that look a little, a little, a little too much in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think there's undeniable traces of Dr. Brandt, but I, I don't really, I mean, I think it was based on him. I do, but I don't know what that means. I mean, I watch SNL and I laugh at all of those parodies all the time. I, I don't know. A lot of people in his friend circle would say, you know, he wasn't a public person that's beyond the pale, but he was a public um, person. Um, right. So I don't know where the line is drawn. How do we know, you know, how do we say, well, this person has a good heart, so we won't make fun of them. Um, I don't know what the rules are. I'm just presenting the information and explaining what everyone else has said. I don't know that I have a judgment on whether or not I think it was uh, appropriate or not. I haven't really ever gotten there on my own, but I do think that it was based on him more than anyone else. I, I think it's kind of undeniably Dr. Brandt. Now, whether I think that that's right or wrong, I, I don't really know. Well, you know, you talked to, so you talked to Dr. Brandt's partner, Dr. Annalick, who I've also heard on XM on a, a friend of mine has a show and he comes on her show sometimes. And okay. Dr. Annalick, you were saying, you know, if there could be an opposite of what Dr. Brandt looks like, but then when you talk to the guy who's Dr. Hollywood, who we've, that was a show on E a while back, you were saying he, he not necessarily looks more like Dr. Brandt, but he's very into, you have to keep yourself looking like this because why would you want to go to a fat heart surgeon or, you know, and it's so interesting, the different, the different views of these different doctors Yeah, where like the, the Doc Hollywood guy was saying he could, he can't 
stand when people come in and they have botched work, like he won't work on them because he wants a blank canvas. Whereas Dr. Brandt was sort of working overtime to fix people when they came in, if they had botched work. I mean, there's a whole TV show about it. You know, it happens all the time. But Dr. Analik was more of the view of like, all right, if they come to me, you know, I want to help them. And he seemed, and he always seems on the radio, like such a nice guy too. All right. So tell me exactly um, what he did to you in his office. Dr. Analik. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah, He, (laughs) you know, it's funny. Our kids are actually in the same preschool class, which we Mm. found out after all of this. No way. Yeah. Like the first day of school, I was like, oh my God. Um, So... Yeah. Um, what did he do? He Botox um, in my crow's feet and then in the 11 lines between my eyes. And then he did some, it was a little while ago, it was last August. So it's kind of hard to remember. And certainly it's all gone now, but he did some in my neck. I feel like he did some around my jawline. Uh-huh. He did one right in the center of my chin. For what purpose? I have no idea. And then um, at the base of my nose, like the little bit of cartilage between the nostrils, he did it there. That sounds like that hurts. It was fine. Um, none of it hurt that badly. But yeah, he was just sort of like decorating my face with pinprick. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, maybe maybe even in the podcast, and I just don't recall, he explained like what it does to the musculature to have it here, there, wherever. But I just was like, you know, I want the full experience. and. Some commenter said, you know, she lost her credibility the second she accepted free work. Oh, no. I was like, go, girl. That's amazing. <laughs> I thought I thought to get the full experience of what it's like to be in this world and to be a patient of Dr. Brandt's, like you really had to get a sense for the showmanship and the hedonism of it, just the the excessive needles. And the, it, there's something about it when you're in it that's like, this is fun. Uh, it truly was fun. I mean, I was like laughing hysterically. I was so caught up in it. I mean, it was, I mean, it was only like 15 minutes, but uh, it was a whirlwind. And I don't know, I just thought it was really important to try to isolate what that experience is like. I mean, Dr. Analik turned it on for sure, but he was, you know, he's not a showman like Dr. Brandt was. There's no way to really show listeners what it felt like to be in his presence. I mean, I never was, but I thought that that was a cool little stunt. And the fact that people weren't that into it was a bummer, but um, I certainly didn't do it to get free work. I got free work once, uh, you know, nine months ago. I, uh, it's like, it doesn't last forever. No, I, no, I didn't, I didn't see it as you yeah. free work. I, I felt that you were going in saying like, okay, look at my face. What would you do? Yeah. Right. As opposed to if you go into your doctor and you go, okay, I don't like these 11s and what can you help me with my jowl? But you just went in saying to to just do whatever would look best and to try to articulate that as best as he could. And I also, yeah, I just thought it would be lighthearted and kind of a good time for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you talk about and for people that have never had Botox, don't know, but you talked about and somehow you captured the sound of when they inject you. Yeah. And there's a little pop. Yep. And I, uh, was just recently at my uh, dermatologist and I was sa- telling them about the podcast, like I said, and I was telling her about this. She goes, oh yeah. She goes, most people don't like that crunch. I said, well, the first time I ever heard it, I thought it was like a, you were hitting like a bone. <laughs> it does sound like that. Yeah. 
And she said, sometimes it is, you know, if it's yeah, sometimes it is going around your bone or whatever. Um, she goes, but mostly it's a, it's the sound of the product coming out of the needle into the muscle. And I said, oh, well, the, you know, the podcaster really kind of like likes that sound. She goes, we get people that hate it and we get people that love it. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say that I love it or I, that I like it. I just noticed it. And I, I feel like you know, it's awesome that you have heard it and are talking about it. I never, I never heard anyone be like, "Oh my god!" in that sound. Um, and since this is an audio only platform, I was like, "This would be so cool." I wish we had been able to capture it even better. Like, uh, there's a siren that's going off in the background a little bit because we're in Manhattan, but I find it to be such a unique element of that experience. And it's you're like a prison, you're a prisoner in like your own skull and you're hearing this unnatural noise and you're putting poison into the muscles in your face. And yet you're totally cool with what's going down. It's remarkable. <laughs> right. It makes are, no sense. Right. We're able to adapt to literally anything. Oh, my God. you're so right. You're <laughs> so right. Oh my God. Okay. On that note, we're going to take another quick break okay. and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, I'm back with Justine Harmon of the podcast, The Baron of Botox. Okay, so we're talking about injectables and Dr. Brandt. And, you know, I, the the thing about Dr. Brandt was, like you said, he was he was so multifaceted in that he was an artist, he was an art collector, he was a scientist, he was a sweet-natured guy, he was generous, he was funny, you know, and uh, I think Dr. Analuk talked about after work sometimes they would just walk around yeah. uh, for, for an hour or two and they would just be chatting about their practice or what they're interested in, or as friends do, you're just chatting. And that he would realize some people, some people were staring and he wouldn't know why. And then he would realize like, oh, my friend maybe looks a little nutty with the, the stuff that he's done to his face. But you know, when it's your friend, yeah, it doesn't occur to you. Right. So I, I fully admit to getting Botox or whatever, you know, I'm 51 now. I don't want to look 20, but I wouldn't mind looking 45. Sure. You know, and I just, in your conversation, you mentioned with Jane Marie, who has the podcast, The Dream, whose first season was about multi-level marketing. And her second season is more about a lot of these uh, beauty ideals, a lot of goop uh, stuff that Gwyneth Paltrow promotes. That's ridiculous in my opinion. But you said that you sort of don't mind Botox giving you sort of a non-expression and you yeah. sort of, I sort of, in the Jane Marie was saying, you know, she sort of disagrees with that. I'm very much in the middle, but when you said that, it sort of struck me as maybe that is what Dr. Brandt was going for. He was going for sort of a, a mask. Yeah. Right. 
And um, I had never in my life thought of any sort of Botox or fillers or anything that way. And you think of a lot of actors like, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example that I just thought of. Courtney Cox is a great example. Everybody knew her from Friends, from the Bruce Springsteen video. She's a beautiful woman, very cute, very attractive. She did some stuff to her face there for a while that was like very, made her face very puffy, like too much filler. And it's sort of the idea of what I said was like, I've got this one little line in my hand. Like you start getting, looking at every little thing and you don't see the big picture of what you look like. Mm -hmm. Then she, a couple of years ago, had all of her fillers and everything dissolved Yeah, because she Somehow, someone had told her or she realized, you know, this does not look right. And now she looks very, uh, still has some work done, but looks really natural. I wonder with Dr. Brandt, if that's really ultimately what he was going for, you know, to put on a mask of what he felt, to push against what he felt on the inside. I totally think that that's kind of what was happening. And I, you know, I, I didn't want to overtly say that, but... He had full access to an arsenal of injectables, some of which studies have proven or have tried to prove actually make you happier. He was struggling with mental health. He was on antidepressants. What if you had access to that? And what if you thought that your happiness was inherently connected to your face and to your outward appearance? Wouldn't you use the tools that your disposal and Mm -hmm. trying, like we all do certain things. We self-soothe, whether it's drinking or promiscuous behavior or bad TV or binge eating. There's a variety of things that everyone does all the time to make themselves feel better just in that moment. But his weapon of choice was these needles and these fillers and these muscle arresting injections that he, for whatever reason, I guess, long ago had decided were some sort of key to happy. I can't fully understand it, but I can kind of get there. And I think if I had the expertise to administer my own injections, which are very expensive and you have to like go out of your way to get them. But if I had a vial of Botox at my house and I was confident that I was the best person at putting it in faces, dear God, of course I would be doing that. So. Uh, oh, same. <laughs> same. I'd, I'd probably be putting it in my hands. But. I mean, sure. I'd be putting it anywhere I could. So I get, uh, maybe there should be some sort of regulation. I have no idea, but the, he had that all of it at his disposal and he was suffering like so many people are. And for him, it was, he didn't drink. He, you know, I think he probably didn't have romantic relationships. He, this was his outlet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It makes a world of sense to me. And I think, yeah. I, I, I think that you're right. I think he just, he couldn't control everything else, but he can control that. He could control what his face looked like. And maybe he lost the plot a little bit about what looks best, but he was in control. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We look back on the history of what people do to themselves. And, you know, growing up in Dr. Analik's time, he would see his mom tease her hair or wear like restrictive, you know, girdles and all these things. And then it, it's it's moved along where, I don't know, I guess my thought is if you want to dye your hair, get a tattoo, get a massage, get your nails done, get Botox. To me, it's sort of all the same. If it sort of makes you feel better, you know, if you get a, if you get a massage, you walk out of there feeling like, gosh, I felt great. 
you know? So if you want to get some Botox and it makes you feel great, like it's none of my business and and great. It's just whatever, like you're saying, it's like whatever works for you. And with Dr. Brandt, I've never really thought like if I was able to do it myself and I had it at my disposal, maybe I would look like crazy (laughs) pants too. I mean, you know, but uh, like I have like, for example, like for me, I will do anything to my face as long as it doesn't go too far in my mind. But I have another friend who would never, she would never, she's like, I would never do anything to my face. However, she's like, I fully get a breast reduction, breast lifts, uh, cool sculpting. You know, I would get a gastric bypass if I could, you know, so everybody has their, their limit or their thing, right? Another person may sleeve tattoo their whole arm, Yeah, you know, and that makes them feel good. So I don't know. I guess it's just a lot of, uh, judging and a lot of going too far. Like in my mind, if you get your face tattooed, you've gone too far on the tattoos. You've run out of spots, you know, but that's somebody else may think it's beautiful. Right. I mean, I think it's like any other conviction, political or religious, you know, we're each so firmly rooted in our positions that we can't fathom that they could be incorrect. But I don't, I I mean, I hope uh, people can feel differently. I didn't judge Dr. Brandt. I don't think he was weird. I don't think it's hard to understand. It's not what I'm doing, but not because I'm against it. It's very judgmental and it's very rooted in this certainty that we know what's best, um, wherever you're standing. And I just, I can't get behind that. Like face tattoos, I'm fine. Like post Malone, go for it. Like, I like it. I think it's cool. I, I've always sort of been like this though. Maybe I stand for nothing, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm in to whatever people are into. I think it's cool, uh, to each his or her own. So I think Dr. Brandt, you know, I'm saddened by his story. Obviously, he wasn't happy, but I don't judge his choices. I think they were his to make. I just want to say it again to my listeners. You did an amazing job of really showing him as a multi-layered person, not just sort of this, you know, oh, crazy bear in a Botox. Like, oh, look at me. I'm just going to shoot up your face and we're all going to look crazy. Yeah. You know, I think he was I think he was very saddened by the way that it was going yeah. and that, you know, the Kardashians have a cool sculpting machine in their house. I mean, you know, I think he's like. <laughs> they do. They do. I told that to uh, my person at the office the other day and they go, who do- they're like, well, who does it? And I said, just the person comes in and does it. Like, what do you think? If you have a cool sculpting machine, you can also have the person. How do they like have body left? I mean, they, like, you know, they're so strict. They work out every day. They're constantly freezing parts off. Like I, what is left to, to optimize? Like they, they're, they're done, right? They have to be done. I don't know. I guess there's always more, you know, there's always more. more. Um, Well, I don't know. I just, I, you did a great job on just really presenting, you you know, his, his whole background, where he came from, how he got to where he was. And the whole thing about him being such a lover of art was fascinating to me because I think also that's what he was sort of trying to do with people. Right. For sure. Yeah. That was great. Okay. Now I'm going to take another quick turn. I'm going to ask you, about podcasts, because I like to ask people, as you know, from being on my show before, what podcast you're listening to now that you're, you've wrapped up on the bear and a Botox, you, maybe you have a moment to breathe since you're out of production. And so have you been listening to anything lately? Yeah. And I listened while I was doing the podcast. I love podcasts. I love more than making them. I love listening to them, especially really good ones. Um, and I mean, my, I wrote some down before we connected because I really wanted to honor the ones that I love and they're not super like 
esoteric by any stretch, but I, I got to give it to Ronan Farrow. I thought Catch and Kill was literally the greatest podcast of all time. Yes. I agree. I agree myself for it because the guy is so ahead of the game in so many ways. And I'm very envious of his position, but I loved that podcast. He is so good at the delivery. His interviews are amazing. He's clearly very creative. I, I thought it was awesome. Did you read the book? I didn't read the book. So uh, okay, you should read the book because believe it or not, they're very different. Yeah. Lo- um, this this most recent section that I was listening to of Catch and Kill, he goes into the whole thing about the National Enquirer and Trump yeah. and the baby and all that. And that sort of plays into, believe it or not, the Harvey Weinstein story and how it all connects with what he was working on. Right. And he goes into that a lot in the book. And it's just, it's he's fascinating that he was, you know, at... Harvard Law School or wherever he was at age 15. I mean, he's a fascinating person. And you're right. That's a that's a great podcast. I love that podcast. I, I love listening to it. It really does the work of transporting you to a different place. Like I feel like I'm in that studio with him. I'm on the road with I just I loved it. And I saw online that there's sort of an equation you can put together. Like he I think he did it. Like if you haven't read the book and you haven't listened to the podcast, an ideal formula. So you read like this chapter of the book and then you listen to this episode and then you, oh, just, you, read, you put uh-huh. it all together in a tweet, like the ideal way to cross pollinate both things. And I thought that was so cool. Like I'm down for anything immersive. I wish I'd done that, but it's too late. Yeah. I wish I would have done that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, other podcasts I like, I, uh, I loved Believed. I sort of got fatigued of the Larry Nasser story, but I thought this was a really good way to talk about it and to introduce the women as protagonists. I thought that was a really great podcast. You know, I didn't listen to that one because I was worried it would be just upsetting. You know, uh, not that I don't listen to tons of true crime. I mean, Broken Heart is a great example of something that's upsetting, but I listened to the whole dang thing. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, I felt like it would be hard. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of given up on certain, like, I started listening to Chasing Cosby and I stopped because every episode was just another horrible story about a disgusting man doing horrible things. Um, Uh But what I liked about Believed is I, you know, when you hear stories like this, people who commit so many crimes in, you know, plain sight, you wonder how it's possible. You almost don't believe that it is possible. And I thought that that podcast did a really good job of explaining the circumstances of how he got to a position where he could be so flagrant and, I didn't know that much about, you know, really high level competitive gymnastics and how much PT is required to keep those bodies running. Like they did a good job of painting a world where this could occur. And I also, you know, of course, think that Catch and Kill did that with Harvey Weinstein, especially the episode about the assistant. So anything that sort of gets me to understand a microcosm of a larger situation, I find fascinating. I also wrote down Boomtown, which is... Mm. Um, another imperative entertainment production, but I just really loved going to the Permian Basin and meeting those characters. And it's just a different world. Season two of the city where they go to Reno, anything that transports me to a place I wouldn't have access to before is really meaningful to me. And I appreciate the people who make those podcasts. Yeah. Especially being a podcaster yourself, (laughs) you, you fully understand how hard it is to put together a story. And I wanted to just uh, touch back on to Broken Hearts, which uh, if anybody's never hasn't listened to that, you have to go back. I mean, that had to have been on the top charts forever and ever. And still it pops up. 
in yeah. my iTunes is something you may like. I was like, I've listened to it. I've talked to the podcasters. <laughs> it's so good. Has there been any, do you have anything to report new on that? I mean, I know that the inquiry came back, you know, saying that. Yeah. No, I came I, back and said who was driving and that they had all taken Benadryl and. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty grim. I haven't, you know, I have a Google alert set up, but I haven't seen anything. I don't think that they've ever recovered the remains of Devante's body. No, I think, I think that story is for now. There's, there's, I haven't heard anything and I've sort of taken a gentle step out of that world too, which is a relief. Um, yeah. That mental, was, mental break. Yeah, for sure. But I haven't heard anything. No, uh, maybe Lauren Smiley, the reporter has, but she hasn't mentioned it to me. No, I haven't heard anything. All right. Well, what's next? For Justine? Oh, um, I have a few new ideas for potential series, have some meetings coming up. Hopefully something will come out of it. But yeah, I'm very invested in just taking one story at a time and teasing it apart and getting better. And you'll hear from me again soon, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, please keep me posted. I will. And the next time I come to New York, we could talk about it. Let's do it. Well, all right. Tell people how they can find out more about you on social media and the Baron of Botox. Oh, thank you. Uh, I have a website, justineharmon.com. There you can see some examples of my long form writing and links to the podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Justine Harmon. It's H-A-R-M-A-N. And I am private on Instagram. However, I'm being urged to change that. So I'm grappling with what feels right there. Because, you know, once you let that genie out of the box, I don't know. So right now, Twitter is my preferred place to interact with people. So if anyone is waiting on an Instagram invite, I'm sorry, I'm I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. (laughs) You let me be your friend on Instagram, so I appreciate that. I did. (laughs) But I think that, you know, why don't you just do like a second Instagram? But I don't have any followers. And so like, I don't, I mean, I, I just don't like spending a lot of time cultivating Instagram stuff. I'm not particularly good at it and it doesn't bring me any joy. Like I recently live Instagrammed something I was doing and I found it so distracting and literally very difficult. So uh, yeah, oh yeah, it doesn't come naturally to me. And so I'm trying to honor that. But I also know that it's the way people like to connect. So I'm- I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I'm working on it. The world is moving so fast and I'm just like trying to like keep on that treadmill and keep it going. I hear you. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to listen to The Baron of Botox. And if you've never listened to Broken Hearts, uh, H-A-R-T-S, go back and listen to that. That's a heartbreaking story that Justine and her podcast partner told beautifully. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being such a podcast enthusiast. It's really fun (laughs) to talk about this stuff with you. All right. Thanks, Justine. Bye-bye.